This is a class called Spiritual Streaming, and it is not about banners or birthday parties. It is about digital discipleship. So this class emerges from really my own journey. I've been interested in this subject for a number of years. What, what does discipleship look like when you're watching TV? And uh, I've always wanted to find like a really good resource or book on this. And I did, last year I did some research on this and it was really helpful to me. So I'm going to present uh, some of that. But first of all, just to get going, can a few of you share, uh, share with the room your favorite TV show when you were in high school? What did you watch back then? Home Improvement. Home Improvement. Amen to that. Yeah. I, I share that. <laughs> what else? Roots came out when I was in high school. Roots, okay. Roots, okay. I like the Cosby Show. The Cosby Show? Family Ties. Family Ties, okay. Yeah, too long ago. Yeah, yeah. I know for some of you, the drawing on the memory here. Anybody else show in high school? Nothing after high school, but I remember watching my, my friends sit on a couch Drinking coffee with uh, it was what Joey and Ross friends. Friends, yes. Okay. And um, we were crying together, we were just like laughing together. And even Santa Barbara. And we even had like it's a joke, but maybe that was a real story. One old lady comes to the embassy asking for the um, green card to come mm-hmm. and live in US and they say, But you don't have anyone. She said, I know everybody back in Santa Barbara. It was <laughs> 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 because of the soap opera. Wow. <laughs> Well, I have been interested in digital discipleship for uh, quite some time, and it emerges from several uh, different sources, and there's different reasons why I'm interested in this. So let me uh, share a few of those uh, with you. The first of all is just the sheer enormity of time that we spend watching shows collectively. It struck me a few years ago that I've, I've been preaching now for 11 years, and Netflix is discipling my church more than I am. And me too. Netflix and YouTube and Hulu, they, they're discipling agents, and they have more of an impact on Christians or many Christians than, than the, the Sunday service. And you just think about it in, in terms of time. So the, I mean, you can, it doesn't really matter which survey you look at online, but uh, generally speaking, you spend, you, if you're average, you spend seven hours a day looking at a screen. So some of that might be work, but a lot of that is mindless scrolling or just watching shows or watching sports. That's seven hours a day. That's, that's pretty significant. And then when it comes to just watching TV shows or movies, it depends on what survey you look at it, but it's between three and four hours a day that we're, that we're watching this. And so if you think about like the course of a human life, so you'll sleep a lot, hopefully, and then you'll go to school or work a lot. But this is the third biggest piece of the pie when it comes to a human life. And so 
I'm, I'm really interested in this piece of pie because as, as a disciple of Jesus, I, I want to think through what does it mean to follow the Lord in all of life. And I wish I could figure out a way to get closer to Jesus while I sleep. That'd be great. It'd be very efficient to have, you know, dreaming discipleship. But I, I haven't figured that one out. I've done a lot of teaching and preaching on this one, which is what does it mean to be a Christian where you work? Or what does it mean to be a Christian at school or even a Christian just at home? And there's a lot of things to be said for that. But this is a huge piece of the pie. Like, how do you, how do you be a follower of Jesus while you're watching, watching shows? So this, this is a big reason for me why I think the subject matters. Uh, another reason would be it's just the power of formation. I was in Honduras a few months ago, and I was uh, speaking down there. And I got to talk to a local preacher, and he was telling me his pandemic story. And he said, yeah, we all stopped coming to church for a while, and then the pandemic ended, and we still don't have many people back. And I said, why not? And he said, well, the reason is, during the pandemic, everybody in, in Honduras started watching Netflix and other U.S.-based streaming services, and they just didn't come back. And he was so sad about this, and he said... Uh, Hollywood has really discipled my congregants away from my from my church. And I was like, wow, that that really that blew me away to hear that from another another culture. I, I see some of that in the, the church where I work, but but for him it was it was devastating. And so it just it it reminded me that we're being formed. Like every every show we watch, every series we watch, when we binge things over time, that really does shape us. And I want to be thoughtful about about that. Uh, another reason that this subject is interesting to me is because over the years, I have noticed there's been an increase in the amount of people who have said something to the effect of, uh, yeah, I watched such and such, and it's horrible, and there's all these terrible things in it, but, you know, it's a great story, or I liked it. And, and I, I say these things too, I don't, I'm not saying this is like, a, oh, everybody else is bad. I'm implicated in this. I have found myself telling other people, yeah, I watched such and such. And the language was terrible, and there was this scene and that scene. But I have noticed an increase in that line of dialogue, uh, especially over the last five, five six years, <laughs> all the time. Like, yeah, it's, it's terrible. There's, you know, so much violence, and there's, you know, just really graphic sex scenes. But... And I'm just paying attention to that. Why are, why are more and more people saying that? And, and is that a healthy thing? Another reason this is uh, important is, or I'm interested in this, is because of what I would call the secularity of evaluation. So generally speaking, shows are evaluated. If they're movies, you've got GEP, GEP, G13R. And then if they're TV shows, you've got you know, uh, TV14, TVMA, and there's several others. But I got to thinking about that, and first of all, they're, they're all very secular-based. There's no Christian thinking behind those uh, systems. Uh, and then secondly, they're only looking at content. So, and generally, there's only, like, violence, language, sex are the big three. And I'm, those are important. However, that's not the only way to evaluate whether a story needs to be told. And so I actually think there's some limitations in, this, in the, the main system by which we evaluate these shows. And then another weakness is simply that they, it's a sliding scale. And so what was 
R 20 years ago is basically PG now. And so there's, there's, uh, <clears throat> there's no anchor for, for ethics there. It's just, yeah, whatever, as times evolve, those ratings evolve. And I, I don't know if you've had this uh, phenomenon or not, but something you watched like 20 years ago and you thought was one thing, and then you watch it again now, you're like, oh, I didn't, didn't know this, didn't know that, and well, well, well things change. And so anyway, I think there's, some, there's a thoughtful way to engage just the, how we evaluate our, our shows. And, and I am interested in what would a, what would a Christ-centered uh, evaluation look like? And, and I'll get into that more in just a few minutes. Another, a fifth reason, a final reason why this uh, subject is important to me is that there's been an increase in feelings of regret from uh, people I know, people at my church, and even myself, where, where, and I'm sure you've experienced this, where you, you start something, you start a show, and you get, you know, half an hour into it, and it's terrible. But then, once you pass the hour mark, you're like, well, I might as well finish it. And you just, you just keep plowing through. And then it ends, and you're like, that was stupid. Like, why did I do that? And you immediately regret it. And, well, again, kind of like number two, number three, the amount of people who tell me this is increasing over time. I don't know why I watched that. That was really dumb. And we get this in the, uh, the food category. Like, when you eat something, and you're like, that was the dumbest. Why did I do that? That was terrible. Well, we can do this digitally, too. By the way, side story. The dumbest, I think the dumbest food decision I ever made was when the first time I ever fasted, I was in high school and we were about to go on a mission trip and we had to fast for 24 hours and I did that and I hated it. And then we broke our fast and I, I broke my fast in a very unwise fashion. I, I ate six Krispy Kreme donuts as the, <laughs> to break the fast and I just kept eating and they were so good. And like a few hours later, I was like, oh my goodness. Why did, why did I do that? Like, I, it's been 20 years since I did that, but I still think I have scars in my digestive tract uh, for doing that. Like, it was a bad idea. Felt good at the time, bad idea later. Well, this happens all the time with our shows. Like, oh, I guess I'll just, uh, watch it. But then we, like, an hour later, we're like, ugh, I don't feel good. Like, why did I watch that? And so this, it's just really increasing uh, the amount of times I hear, I hear this comment. And so... All that to say, I think it's really important that we ask the questions. What does it mean to watch our shows and follow uh, Jesus at the same time? So let me tell you, I want to share part of my journey, just a few things I've learned along the way. I did read a really helpful book uh, called Watching TV Religiously. It's a good title. Uh, and the author, Cutter Calloway. It's a really helpful book. So some of the... the some of this comes from her, but so what is TV? That's kind of a helpful place to start. She outlines uh, four dimensions of, of television. Uh, so one, it's technology. So it represents an invention in the same category as the automobile or penicillin or the refrigerator. It's art. So it is a form of expression where meaning comes from the mind of the creator of the show into the viewer. So there's an there's a exchange of meaning and information, and it's it's probably the most together with music. It's the most popular form of art today. Uh, it is also a business. So 
uh, if you think about it, every scene in a TV show is is meant to communicate a value, and the value is really meant to support the overall point of the episode. And then the episode falls in in the context of a season, which is trying to tell us something. And then these seasons fall in the course of these series, which are trying to really promote something big about the world. And then the producers are placing these series at certain time slots to target certain audiences. And they're doing that to keep the eyeballs on the screen. So they're very intentional about what shows are sequenced where, and it seems like every few months I, you, know, you read an article online about which shows are getting axed, or sometimes they'll move a show to this time slot to target this audience. And to me, it's kind of eerie to think about TV that way, that we, we really are being targeted as, as the product. We, they need our eyeballs on the show in order for them to sell the commercial commercials or just to keep the subscriptions going on the streaming service. And so it's strictly a, a business. And in many ways, if you've seen The Social Dilemma, which is a really eye-opening documentary on Netflix, uh, we're the product and our eyeballs are being sold so that we can keep paying these, uh, these companies. So it is a business. And then finally, uh, TV is a mirror. So you can go back in any era. See, just I'll talk about US history. You can go to any era of TV and, and watch the shows and that will tell you something about the U.S. at the time. So, so my, my church still does a class for, I think it's sixth graders, and they, they watch Andy Griffith together <laughs> and then talk about the good old days and talk about the Bible. And that's like my dad's favorite TV show of all times, Andy Griffith. Well, you watch that show, it does tell you a lot about this is what the U.S. in some ways was like at that time. And there's some really good things about that. And then there's also some things that you watch that like, ooh, <laughs> that... that today would be considered racist or, or things like that. And so sometimes watching an old show, you can see some, um, some things that maybe aren't, aren't so good. But any, any show will tell you this is what's going on in the country at the time. Whether that's Friends or Seinfeld or The Office or Ted Lasso, like if you want to know the values of the nation, you go watch shows of the time period. So that's, that's helpful to know what TV is now. It's also helpful to know the history of like, okay, we're, we're really about, let's see, it's 2023. So in seven years, it'll be about a hundred years since TV really hit, at least the U.S. So the, I, th I think this is really interesting that there's some, the history behind this. So in the 1930s, this technology emerged that you can now look at screens and First, they're black and white, and there's no sound, and then there's sound, and then there's color, but it just, it, it changed the world. It was amazing. And there was a, a government uh, regulatory agency early on that regulated what TVs, uh, what, what these channels could show. It was the, the Federal Communications Commission. And so when TV first came onto the scene, they borrowed a lot of their regulations from what they were doing in radio at the time. Now, in radio at the time, in the 30s, there were strict regulations about uh, the percentage of programming over the radio airwaves. Uh, a high percentage of that was religious. And so they took those same protocols and they applied them to TV. So early on in the 30s, I forget the exact percentage, but it was 50% or above 
they had to be religious programming. And so this is the, like, televangelists were from the beginning. And these people were proclaiming the gospel, and, the, and it was all over TV. Well, imagine if you were a Christian uh, in the 30s, and this was all coming uh, to fruition. How would you feel about TV? Like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, the, the thought of the time was that TV will be like the printing press. So, you know, when the printing press happened or uh, was invented, this meant that the gospel went to another level as far as engagement throughout the world. And so the thought of the time was, oh, wow, now more and more people can hear the gospel because of our TVs. Well, then about a decade into TV viewing, they started uh, studying what people were actually wa watching. And so the, you know, all these systems, you know, the ratings, and <laughs> come to find out, nobody watched the religious programming. Like, they didn't care about it. And people were really coming to, to TV to watch, just to be entertained. And so Christians really flipped their attitude towards TV. So early on, just to summarize, early on, we were like Homer Simpson. Yes, we love TV. But then when we realized, and we, we love TV because it, it's the way that the gospel would reach the world. But then when we realized that no one cared about the religious programming, Christians took their normal posture, which is, no TV, no TV. And so we became, Christians in general, became the conscience of the nation. Uh, we became very critical about TV in general, and we, we did a lot of boycotts, uh, you know, calling people out for watching certain shows. Now, I would argue that these two images represent two different postures towards TV. Uh, one would be blind acceptance, one would be blind rejection. Both, I think, that are pretty unhealthy. So if, if we approach our TV shows with just blind acceptance, oh, it's on YouTube, it must be interesting. Or, well, it's funny, so it's good. Well, that's not healthy. <laughs> that's the equivalent of eating six Krispy Kreme donuts after fasting. Like, that's not, <laughs> there's no indication of health with blind acceptance. But on the flip side, if we just reject and boycott, boycott, and don't watch this, don't watch that, and that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, I think we, A, we miss out on understanding our culture, which one way to understand culture is to watch, watch our shows. And two, we can actually miss out on, on beauty. And there's a lot of deep meaning with, with this form of art. And so I don't necessarily think that blind rejection is a helpful posture towards uh, TV. I think the critical word here is discernment. So there's a helpful passage in Philippians where Paul says, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may, may be able to discern what is best and be, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There's a lot packed into this prayer. It starts with love, and really the whole prayer is about love. It's the Paul's praying that one's capacity to practice agape can grow and develop. The way that that happens is through discernment. So we have these great words like depth of insight, knowledge, and then we have the word discern, so there's a, there's a correlation between our ability to love other people and our ability to know what is pure and what's not pure. And this is all oriented towards the day of Christ, the day of the Lord. This reality, society is going towards this, this day when God restores all things. So it's a really helpful prayer. And I think this word discern here is the critical word when it comes to what, what does it look like to, to be a disciple and watch these watch these shows.
So I'd like to offer three questions that I think are helpful uh, anytime you're engaging in a, in a show, whether that's a short clip or uh, you're going to watch a whole series or a season. Three questions. Uh, question number one is this, what needs to be celebrated? So if TV is like art, like we talked about, well, there are certain kinds of art that it's great and it's beautiful and it needs to be, needs to be celebrated. We, my wife Mary's in the back and we were in, I got to go speak at a retreat in Europe recently and we were in Vienna and we came into the middle of the city and we saw this, uh, this, this, it, there's four parts to this monument and we had a tour guide and she was telling us that a bomb hit this city square in World War II and just uh, blew up the building and lots of people died. And so uh, they decided to, well, first of all, the many of the people that died that day, their graves are, are underneath the cobblestone here. But then they uh, they erected, they, all these artists submitted ideas and they erected this fourfold um, art project to to mourn the loss of what happened in the war, but then also to point towards signs of hope and how do we let this not happen again. So there's four parts to it, it's really, really intricate and I could go into all the explanations, but this, the third statue back here is a, it's a picture of this um, uh, mythical figure going into Hades to rescue the dead. And so there's that element and then, and there's a lot of hope and how do we, how do we make a better world? Anyway, it was just really, it was really meaningful. And so our tour guide told me, told us all about this lot. I was so interested in this, I actually went back the next day because I wanted to learn more. And so this is the kind of thing that it's sad, but it needs to be lifted up. It needs to be, yes, this is really, really important. So there are some kinds of things that we watch on TV that they do need to be celebrated because they're, they're, they're part of the great story of God. Uh, here's a very underrated scripture from the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus 31, see, I have chosen... Baziel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs or work in gold, silver, and bronze. I really appreciate this text because it connects the Spirit with art. And for whatever reason, we've often built this chasm between these two worlds as if the real Christians are the thinkers, and uh, we have to figure out our doctrine, and the art people they're the secularists, and they don't really care about God. Well, that's not true. Where did beauty come from? Beauty came from God. And where does art come from? Art comes from God. And you, even, you can even read Genesis 1 as, as God's uh, art project. He wants to make something. And so there are certain things that we watch that need to be celebrated. I, I was thinking about just... Uh, shows I've watched over time that moved me and had elements that needed to be celebrated. And here's, uh, just here's a few. So that last scene from Mr. Holland's opus where, you know, his whole life he's thought he's a failure. And then at the end, they, all his students come in for a symphony at the end. It's so beautiful. It's, I just love that, that scene. Or and not, not here, here I go again, not every part of this movie is good. Uh, there's so much violence in Braveheart, but I do remember this the scene where he makes this speech, and it, it it just speaks to courage and bravery and standing up for things. And that there's there's stories like that that need to be told. This is uh, anybody recognize this? This is the ending scene from one of the most popular oh, series yeah, of all time. It's the end of Lost. I hated that. Now the ending was weird. I was like, what? I didn't make any sense. But there are certain 
episodes in Lost that mm-hmm. we were just moved to tears. Like, yes, this is getting at the at the meaning of life. And then I've got two daughters, yeah. thirteen and eleven. Anybody know what the end of this movie is? Yeah. It's a it's a princess movie. Yeah. Anybody know? My granddaughter. It's Raya. Yeah. I watched Raya, and at the end, I'm telling you, the last fifteen minutes of Raya, it has so much imagery of uh, new heavens, new earth, Revelation 20, 21, 21, 21 22. It's just this beautiful new uh, world. Uh, we're, we're, it's physical. It's not like we're ghosts floating off into the clouds. It's 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 embodied creation. It and there's there's diversity and all the nations come. Well, it's beautiful, and I was yeah. like, "Wow, that is that is one way to portray this deep theological, it's it, or deep eschatology." So I, I just show you if you like. Sometimes there are really are things that we need to uh, celebrate when it comes to the things that we watch on uh, TV. Question number two: What needs to be critiqued? So not everything that comes across the screen is necessarily healthy for the soul. And this is where uh, I do think as disciples, we need to be thinking about what we're taking in. Uh, John, First uh, John 4, dear friends, do, do, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So YouTube and Netflix, they know you and they know me, and they will put shows on the docket based on my history that they think I will like, and they are usually right. I usually do like the shows that they recommend. However, just because Netflix says this is just for you, <laughs> that doesn't mean it's good for you. It's, all, it's only based on a pattern of, of viewing. That has nothing to do with spiritual health. And so there needs to be some discernment here. There, I think there needs to be some really healthy questions asked about the shows that we watch. If a, so I have a friend, he's single, and so he often tells me about the dates he goes on. Now he's older, so he's, I think he turned 30. So at this point in his life, he wants to get married. So when he dates people, it's like, he pretty quickly goes to like, bigger questions like okay what's it going to be if I were to live with this person what would that be like what kind of a mother would she be if I were to spend every day of my life with this person how would she form me over time of course you ask those questions when you date people especially if you're thinking about getting married we spend four hours of the day with our shows so why wouldn't we ask the same questions like how are it's almost like you need to sit across the table from Netflix and YouTube and say okay we're going to be in relationship for the next few decades, and uh, we're going to hang out four hours a day. So uh, tell me about yourself, and uh, you know what? How are you going to form me? Because re- it really does form us over time. So there needs to be some healthy uh, questions of evaluation. I want to give you two areas that I think are really critical here. The first one is the m- the message of the show. So obviously, you can look watch a scene, and maybe it's sad, or maybe it's funny. But if you put all the scenes together of all the episodes, what is the message? It's a really critical question to ask about shows. Okay, let me ask you a question. I do want a few people to respond here. What do you think is the overall message, or at least one of the overall messages, to Seinfeld? Seinfeld. 
Anybody? Never watched it? That's okay. Any, anybody who has watched the show? Life is funny. Life is funny. Good. Yeah? People are selfish. People are selfish? Okay. So, I am going to share something with you that really irritated me. I was reading a book. I, I think Seinfeld's hilarious. It's super funny. These characters, they're just so stinking funny. Well, I was reading a book, and the book, uh, the book was, it's called uh, Overcoming Apathy by Unchi Anzior, and uh, he had a whole chapter on Seinfeld. I'm so irritated. I wish I hadn't even read it, because he, cri- he critiques Seinfeld on, like, what, what was the message he was offering the world, and I was like, no, this is terrible. Well, he, he starts this chapter by, there's a really famous episode in this series where the, it's an autobiographical episode where George and Jerry are pitching a show uh, to a big network. And it's actually the way that Seinfeld, the show itself, was, was conceived. And, and for those of you that have watched it, you might know this. They, they pitch it as a show about what? Nothing. nothing. It's a show about nothing. And this, so this whole episode is really telling the story about how Seinfeld uh, originated. Well, I'm reading this chapter in this book, and the producer of Seinfeld uh, said this. He says... I, I don't think the average viewer realizes just how dark the show really is. I was like, what? It's not dark. Well, here's, here's a quote from this, uh, this book. It was not a show about nothing per se, but a show about insignificant petty things. It was a show that normalized indifference. That's a key phrase there. It normalized indifference towards big, meaningful things such as, such as marriage, family, religion, social concern, even the Holocaust. And it normalized a fixation on life's daily minutia, such as getting good parking spots and the annoyance of close talkers, which is a funny episode, uh, and, and maintaining one's high score in Frogger. Well, I'd never thought about the show that way. That what it did is it took all the really important things in life and said, yeah, they don't matter. And then it took all the things that don't matter in life and said, let's get obsessed about those things. I was like, what? I guess it did do that. And, and the, the theory of this book is that that's actually their definition of apathy. It's, it's not that we don't care at all. It's that we've stopped caring about meaningful things and we care about minutia. Like, oh, that's a, that's a really helpful definition of apathy. Well, they say that Seinfeld had a critical role in shaping uh, the modern bent towards apathy. So on one of the final episodes, or I think it was the final episode, the four main characters end up in jail and the judge on their trial convicts them, or one of the, the final sentences of the entire show is the, this judge in court. And the judge says this to these four characters. I do not know how, how or under what circumstances the four of you found each other, but your callous indifference and utter disregard for everything that is good and decent has rocked the very foundation upon which our society is built. So this is actually... The producer speaking into the culture at the very end saying, this is what Seinfeld has done to the world. We have changed the way we think as, as a culture. Well, I think there's some, uh, there's, this is somewhat accurate. So the final thing I'll mention from this book that really, really just was jaw-dropping to me is the author believes there is a correlation between how popular Seinfeld was, Seinfeld was and the rise of agnosticism we've seen in the last 15 years. I've never thought about that. But if you're formed by this, yeah, super funny, and Jerry's hilarious, and George is funny, and Kramer, everybody loves Kramer. But underneath the surface, nothing really matters. Life is meaningless. 
well, now we have this, we have more agnostics in the world than we ever had. I'm not saying this is the only reason. There's a lot of reasons for that. But I do think shows like this did change the world. And I don't know if we were as critical when we watched them as, as we should have been. Uh, so all that to say, uh, what needs to be critiqued, I think, is a really important uh, question to ask. Just because something is funny doesn't mean that it is holy. So uh, overall message. Mary and I watched this movie on a plane recently. Uh, Julie Roberts, George Clooney, it's a fairly silly movie. They're, uh, they, they get married and then they get divorced really early on. They've been divorced 25 years, but their daughter, brilliant girl, graduates college, goes to, I think, Mexico, meets a native person from Mexico, and they get engaged. Well, both parents are like, where is it? Indonesia. Okay, somewhere. Yes, thank you. Indonesia, is that what you said? Bali. Bali? Okay, somewhere. Anyway, they don't like, <laughs> they get really frustrated that their daughter is gonna marry this guy, and so they're like, that's ridiculous, you can't. You can't marry this guy. So they, they go down there to stop the wedding. And nothing brings people together like stopping weddings. And so in the course of this movie, they re-fall in love. Uh, and by the end of the movie, they're back together. So it's a funny movie. But Mary made a comment after the movie. And I really appreciated the comment. She says, you know, it's nice to watch a movie that uh, believes that marriage still matters. I was like, that's a good point. And so it, it's a... Yeah. I'm not saying it's the greatest movie in the world, but I liked that message. Marriage still matters. Every show does communicate a message. Some messages are worth taking in. Uh, some messages are not. So when we're critiquing shows, I think that's category number one is what's the overall message. Here's category number two that's very important. What imprint does the show leave on you? So we, we, we think about, you can think about imprint when it comes to people. So you've probably got certain people in your life where when you are with them uh, and then you leave their presence, like an hour later, you still feel really good about life. Oh, I just love being around so-and-so. They just, they fill me with love and joy and they just make me want to be a better person. And then you've also got people that you spend an hour with them and then you leave like, oh, just like, you can't get a hold of yourself and you just... They, they, they have a lasting negative effect on you. So people do that. Shows do that too. So you watch a show and then again, you know, hour or two later, you feel full of hope and joy and life. Or you just feel dirty and just gross and, or you just feel negative or really sad. Shows leave an imprint and it's really important to pay attention to what that imprint is. For example, arguably the show that captured the heart of the nation during the pandemic early on the most was Tiger King. So I remember like two months into the pandemic, nobody was doing anything. I hadn't watched the show, but I, I have this friend. I never talked to him. He's from Tennessee. And he texts me. He's like, I had no idea these things were happening in Oklahoma because Tiger King was the, it's set in Oklahoma. So he told me about the show. And so Mary and I watched a few episodes. And it's just like, if you haven't watched it, it's, I, I, mean, I can't even tell you what it's about. It's this guy who owns a bunch of animals who's a psycho and this girl who wants to kill him. And so I, we watched a few episodes and we're just glued, <laughs> glued to the TV. But I remember after like two episodes, like it was several hours later and I was like, I just felt horrible. I was like, why do I feel so bad? And Mary and I got to talking and it's like, 
what's that show about? We could we don't even know. Like there's there's no redeeming value to it. It's just crazy people doing crazy things. It's just it's just not good. And so it left this really like dark imprint. Like I didn't want to be a better person. I did, it didn't fill me with love and joy. And, it, and I was like, what? again, back to that regret. Like why did I watch that? So you got to pay attention to the imprint that a show uh, leaves on you. We uh, also we uh, recently married. I watched this show. It's a movie, and it's it's really sad and there's really dark parts. Suicide is a big thing theme to this movie. Like there were several scenes. I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to. Oh, it's just it's gut wrenching. But at the end of the movie, it's it's really a message about life is worth living and it's meaningful and the people around you matter. And so I actually remember after this show, even an hour or two later, thinking, yeah, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better friend. That's the, Im- that's the imprint. So you want to pay attention to the imprint a show leads on you. So message, imprint are two helpful uh, ways to critique a show. Now let me talk about the gray area for just a minute. What do you do when a show is really has a good message, leaves a good imprint, but it's full of junk? Because that's, that's the trap or the tension that a lot of people, a lot of us find ourselves in is how much, how much should I put up with uh, to watch a show? I read an article by Preston Sprinkle that was really helpful. And so he, he, had, a good, he had a good line and here's his line. He says, don't ask, does it contain sin? Ask, does it promote sin? Because he even made the point that the Bible is full of, there's so much, there's violence, there's adultery, there, I mean, there's, there's some seedy stuff in the Bible. But part of what makes a story really compelling is understanding, at least to a degree, the darkness, because that accentuates, accentuates the light. And so you don't need to ask, does it contain sin? But you do need to ask, does it promote sin? And the reality is there are some shows and they really promote sin. It, like I remember there certain shows like where vengeance is like the message. Take revenge. Or there's plenty of shows today that uh, sex is not just a side story. It's like that's what it's about. It's the, it's the glorification of Aphrodite. And those are shows that I don't know. We, we, I don't think we need to be watching uh, shows where sin is promoted. Like this is it. But obviously, if it contains it, that, that most shows do contain sin. So I found that a really helpful uh, question from Preston Sprinkle. Practically speaking, what can you actually do to critique a show? Three three things. Uh, you have a remote in your hand. <laughs> One thing you can do is pause. So this is especially helpful for families and, and people with kids is that, and we, we do this with our girls. If a scene comes on and someone says something interesting or, or uh, edgy or it speaks to a larger cultural theme, we'll pause it. Why do you think this character said that? Why do you think the producer or the writer wrote that into the show? What value is that trying to communicate? Well, just by pausing it, we're, we're, decreasing, we're decreasing its formational effect on us. We, I can push back. I can talk about this. Just because it's on the screen doesn't make it right. So pausing is your friend. As a second thing that we can do, there's another button on your remote. You can skip things. <laughs> and, and beware of that feeling of sunken cost. Like, again, you'll get 45 minutes in and think, well, I guess I'll just keep watching. You don't have to keep watching. Skip something. Like, take control back you you can skip a scene and still get the story 
And then finally, you can stop something. It's okay to stop watching a show. In fact, I think it's helpful for the spiritual life to practice resistance as a spiritual discipline. There's something to pushing back. It's a helpful thing. So every once in a while, I simply think it's a good practice for the soul to say, no, I think I'm done. I think I'm, gonna watch, I'm not going to watch that. So question one, what needs to be celebrated? Question two, what needs to be critiqued? Question three, final question, what needs to be avoided? I had a 25-year-old come into my office recently, and we were talking about life, and, and uh, he said, you know, Phil, I, w I went into a movie theater on Saturday, and I watched an hour of this movie, and I just, it was, I realized it was toxic, and so I got up and I walked out. And when he told me that story, it dawned on me, it has been so long since I have heard anybody tell that kind of a story. And early on, I want to really give props to um, like my parents' generation, my grandparents' generation. That was very normal. It was just, it was part of walking with Christ. Is, yeah, if it, if it promotes sin, we, we leave. And I, I will say my generation, we haven't practiced that. Uh, we, just, we just take it in and we don't walk out on things. We don't turn things off. And so I was really, I was really moved by this 25-year-old who says, yeah, if, if, if it's promoting sin, I'm going to walk out. And so I think, I think we need to resurrect that uh, a little bit. I, I'm sure you've been in situations where you're watching something and in real time you're trying to rationalize whether or not you should keep watching. And I would argue this, the, the, and I'll say it about me. The part of me that wants to be entertained by sin is my sinful nature. It's like when you're in your own head thinking, ah, should I keep watching this? Because you want to. It's interesting. It's funny or it's entertaining. The part of you that wants to keep watching is not the Christ-centered part of you. <laughs> the part of you that wants to keep watching is the flesh. And so I think we need to exercise the spiritual muscle every once in a while of no. No is no. This is not healthy. I need to stop. Uh, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, famous line. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So there's a, there's a practice there that I think we've lost. There's a, a psalm in the Old Testament. It's a kingly psalm. It's about what the king does in his own house, and it's really good. He says, I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. And I really appreciate this because it's from... It's from the king's perspective, and he's almost saying, I can't control everything in my kingdom, but when it comes to my own house, I have some control there, and I'm not going to lay my eyes before anything that is vile. It's a really helpful principle uh, to follow here. Let me give you a unique perspective from Hannah Barefoot. So she really appreciate her story. She's a Christian actress, and when, when she is offered parts, her criteria, her, one of her main criteria for evaluation is this question, is this a story that, that needs to be told? Does this relate to the gospel? Does the world need to hear the story? So she often plays the foil. Uh, she'll play the adversary in, in stories, but uh, if it's a story that needs to be told, then she will, she will play that part. So she's been in things like uh, CSI, has been several seasons there, The Librarians. She was in King Richard with Will Smith, uh, with the movie about Venus and Serena Williams. Well, her story goes something like this. So, raised a Christian, very talented in acting, 
And when she made it to Hollywood, she, uh, in her early 20s, decided, I can't be an actress and a Christian at the same time. And so she left her faith. And she would really do anything on screen that the directors would ask her to do because she wanted to keep her job. And so that led to a pretty negative uh, downturn in her life. She dealt with some addictions. Well, then she came back to the Lord uh, in her mid-20s. And part of the reason she came back is because of this theological truth. I realized that God loves stories because these, he is the ultimate storyteller. So she got back into faith uh, and she kept acting. And then in the middle of the pandemic, this is, I think this is a really cool story. So she had no work, and she uh, auditioned for a role in a, in a show, a pretty small role, and she got a call back from the producers, not for the small role, but for one of the lead characters, saying, hey, we loved your stuff, we want you to, we actually want you to be on the show as, the, as such and such person. And she was super excited, because this was going to be a multi-series, multi-million dollar deal, and so she accepted. A few days later, they, they sent her the sketch of the first few uh, episodes of season one and she read through them and it was a lot of sex scenes and so she was like ah what do i do here like this is there's millions of dollars on the line and uh i, I don't know what to do so she, she thought about it prayed about it and decided that for the sake of her her husband and her kids and just her faith that she was going to call the producer back and say i'm going to turn down the, the role and that's what she did well, she was being interviewed by someone else. Like, okay, why did you do that? Like, Christians are kind of, we have this negative caricature of being prude and anti-culture, and, and you're definitely fitting that stereotype. So, like, why would you do that? And her response was really good. Uh, she said, here's why I, I turned down the role. She quoted Galatians. You, my brothers, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Isn't that cool? Like she's so convicted about that verse that she turned down this role. And so one of my takeaways listening to her interview was this. If she has the spiritual conviction to say no on her end of the camera, I want to have the conviction to say no on my end of the camera. Because there is a relationship between the eyeballs that watch the screen and the actors and the producers and the writers that produce what they do. And, and if we as the viewer can't have the conviction uh, to say no to things that are not of God, uh, then the machine will just, will just continue. And this is not on the screen, but another quote from her is really helpful, and, and I'm, I'm pretty much done after this. Uh, she says, in reflecting on being asked to do sex scenes, she says, sex scenes are the cheapest way that mediocre storytellers get more eyeballs. The best stories stand on their own. That's a really, really helpful line. So final thing I'll say is this. When it comes to food, we get it. Certain things are really unhealthy for the body, and we can build really good practices of nutrition. All I'm saying is that when it comes to our, our, our digital life, we need to practice the same thing. So three questions. What needs to be celebrated? Uh, what needs to be critiqued? And what needs to be avoided? Thank you for your attention. We are done.